Chapter 18 of Rufus and Rose, or the Fortunes of Rough and Ready. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rufus and Rose, or the Fortunes of Rough and Ready, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 18. Rufus Entrapped. Now, said Rufus to himself on the morning succeeding the robbery, I've got a week to recover that box. How shall I go about it? This was a question easier asked than answered. Martin being the thief, the first thing, of course, was to find him, and Rufus had considerable hopes of encountering him in the street some day. Should this be the case, he might point him out to a policeman and have him arrested at once, but this would not recover the box. Probably it was concealed at Martin's boarding house, and this it was that Rufus was anxious to find. He decided, therefore, whenever he got on the track of his stepfather, to follow him cautiously until he ascertained where he lodged. He walked the street with his eyes about him all day, but did not catch a glimpse of Martin. The fact was, the latter was at Newark, having been sent there by his employers with a supply of counterfeit money to dispose of, so that our hero's search was of course fruitless, and so he was obliged to report to Mr. Turner the next morning. Probably he is in hiding, said his employer. I don't think you have much chance of meeting him for a few days to come. I should like to try, said Rufus. He won't be content to hide long. I have notified the banks and railroad companies of the robbery, said Mr. Tanner, so that it will be impossible to sell the shares. After a while, should we fail to recover them, they will grant us duplicate certificates. I have advertised, also, the numbers of the bonds, and, if an attempt is made to dispose of them, the thief will find himself in trouble, so the loss is reduced to four hundred dollars. That is too much to lose, said Rufus. That is true, but we are lucky to get off so cheap. I hope to get back some of that, said our hero, stoutly. Did it ever strike you that there might be some risk encountering this man? If he is driven to bay, he may become dangerous. I don't think of the danger, Mr. Turner, said Rufus. I lost that box, and it is my duty to recover it if I can, danger or no danger. Mr. Turner secretly admired the pluck of Rufus, but he was not a man given to compliments, so he only said quietly, Well, Rufus, you shall have the week I promised you. I have no doubt you will do your best. I shall not be surprised, however, if you fail. So Rufus entered upon his second day's search. He went up Chatham Street and explored most of the streets intersecting it, visiting many places which he remembered as former haunts of his stepfather. But he was quite off the track here. Martin's employment now was on the other side of the city, near the North River, and he had no longer occasion to visit his old haunts. Besides, he had again been sent over to New Jersey and did not get back to the city at all till late in the afternoon. The next day, Martin complained of headache and was permitted to remain at home. He did not think it prudent to be out during the day, but easily solaced himself in his confinement with whiskey and cigars, of which he had laid in a good supply. He was sitting in his shirt sleeves at the front window, looking through the blinds, which were always closed, when his eyes lighted on Rufus passing on the opposite side of the street. He's looking for me, exclaimed Martin to himself, observing that Rufus was looking about him as he walked. Who's looking for you? asked his confederate, Smith who happened just then to enter the room. My undutiful son, look, there he is, said Martin, nervously. I wonder if he has heard about my living here. Smith went to the window and looked out. 
He looks resolute and determined, said Smith. We must pull his teeth. What do you mean? I mean we must put it out of his power to do you harm. How are we going to do that? Wait a minute and I'll tell you. Smith left the room hastily and after a brief interval returned. I think I'll fetch it, he said. What have you done? asked Martin. I've sent Humpy to follow your son. He's to carry him a message from you. What do you mean? asked Martin, alarmed. Don't be afraid. It's all right. But I don't understand it. I didn't send any message. What was it? I'll tell you. If I'm not mistaken, Humpy will bring your son back with him, so that I shall have the pleasure of reuniting parent and child. You don't mean to say you were going to bring Rufus here, said Martin, his lower jaw falling. You ain't going to betray me, are you? Stuff and nonsense. What are you thinking of? All you need understand is that the boy's getting dangerous. He is following you round as if he meant something, and that must be stopped. I mean to get him into the house, but I don't mean to part company with him very soon. Smith here briefly detailed the instructions which he had given to his errand boy. Martin listened with much satisfaction. What a head you've got, he said admiringly. I'm generally ready for an emergency, remarked Smith complacently. You've got to get up early in the morning to get ahead of me. We must now follow Smith's messenger, and we shall ascertain that gentleman's plan. Humpy was a boy of sixteen, very short, in fact almost a dwarf, and, as his name implies, disfigured by a hump. He was sharp, however, and secretive, and, though he could not help understanding the character of the men who employed him, was not likely to betray them. He had a pride in deserving the confidence which he saw was reposed in him. After receiving the instructions of his principal, he crossed the street and followed Rufus at a little distance, being particular to keep him in sight. Our hero turned a corner, and so did he. He then quickened his pace and came up with him. Would you are looking for anybody in particular? He said. What makes you ask? Said Rufus, facing round upon him. Maybe I could help you. Perhaps you know who I am after? Said Rufus, looking at him steadily. You're looking for a man named Martin, ain't you? Do you know where I can find him? Asked Rufus eagerly. Yes, I do. He sent me after you. He sent you? Repeated our hero, hardly believing his ears. Yes, he wants to see you. What does he want to see me for? Asked Rufus, inclined to be suspicious. There's something he's got of yours that he wants to return, said Humpy, in a low voice, looking around cautiously. Rufus was more and more astonished. Was it possible that Martin's conscience troubled him, and that he wanted to make restitution? He could hardly believe this, knowing what he did of his stepfather. Martin was about the last man he would have suspected of being troubled in any such way. Yes, he has got something of mine, he said aloud. Does he want to return it? Yes, he's sorry he took it. He's afraid you'll set the cops on him. So he's frightened, thought Rufus. This seemed to throw light on the new phase of affairs. He had never regarded his stepfather as very brave, and now concluded that he was alarmed about the consequences of the theft. If he'll return what he took, all right, said Rufus, venturing to make this promise on his own responsibility. He shan't be touched. Where is he? Not far off, said Humpy. Tell him to bring it to me, and I'll give my word not to have him arrested. He can't come. 
Why can't he? He's sick. Where? In a house nearby. He wants you to come and see him. Rufus hesitated. What's the matter with him? He asked. He caught a cold and is threatened with a fever, said the boy glibly. If you want to see him, I'll lead you where he is. All right, go ahead, said Rufus, thoroughly deceived by the boy's plausible story. You'll promise not to set the cops on him after you've got the box, said Humpy. Yes, I promise. Then follow me. Rufus followed, congratulating himself that things were coming out satisfactorily. He had no hesitation in making the promise he did, for he felt sure that he would be sustained by his employer. At any rate, he determined that, having pledged his word to Martin, nothing should make him break it. Humpy stumped along, followed by Rufus. He turned the corner again, and the boy guided him at once to the counterfeiter's den. He's in there, said Humpy, with a jerk of his forefinger. Come along. He mounted the steps and opened the door, which had been left unlocked. He's upstairs, said Humpy. Come up. Rufus, without suspicion, followed his hump-backed guide up the narrow staircase. They had scarcely reached the top when Smith, coming out of a room on the floor below, locked the outer door and put the key in his pocket. This Rufus did not see, or it would have aroused his suspicion. The boy opened the door of a chamber at the head of the staircase. Go in there, he said. Rufus entered and looked around him, but saw no one. He did not have to wait long. A step was heard at the door, and James Martin entered the room, apparently in perfect health. I'm glad to see you, Rufus, he said with a triumphant grin. You've been such an undutiful son that I didn't much expect you'd come to see your sick father. Rufus sprang to his feet in dismay. The whole plot flashed upon him at once, and he realised that he had walked into a trap with his eyes wide open. End of chapter 18. Rufus Entrapped.